Section 10 of Ingersoll on the Great Infidels From the Works of Robert G. Ingersoll, Volume 3, Lectures This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Section 10. Voltaire When Voltaire was born, the church ruled and owned France. It was a period of almost universal corruption. The priests were mostly libertines. The judges were nearly as cruel as venal. The royal palace was simply a house of assignation. The nobles were heartless, proud and arrogant, and cruel to the last degree. The common people were treated as beasts. It took the church a thousand years to bring about this happy condition of things. The seeds of the revolution unconsciously were being scattered by every noble and by every priest. They germinated in the hearts of the helpless. They were watered by their tears of agony. Blows began to bear interest. There was a faint longing for blood. Workmen, blackened by the sun, bent by labour, looked at the white throats of scornful ladies and thought about cutting them. In those days, witnesses were cross-examined with instruments of torture. The church was the arsenal of superstition. Miracles, relics, angels and devils were as common as rags. Voltaire laughed at the evidences, attacked the pretended facts, held the Bible up to ridicule, and filled Europe with indignant protests against the cruelty, bigotry and injustice of the time. He was a believer in God, and in some ingenious way excused this God for allowing the Catholic Church to exist. He had an idea that originally mankind were believers in one God and practised all the virtues. Of course, this was a mistake. He imagined that the Church had corrupted the human race. In this he was right. It may be that, at one time, the Church relatively stood for progress, but when it gained power it became an obstruction. The system of Voltaire was contradictory. He described a being of infinite goodness who not only destroyed his children with pestilence and famine, but allowed them to destroy each other. While rejecting the God of the Bible, he accepted another God, who, to say the least, allowed the innocent to be burned for love of him. Voltaire hated tyranny and loved liberty. His arguments to prove the existence of a God were just as groundless as those of the reverend fathers of his day to prove the divinity of Christ, or that Mary was the mother of God. The theologians of his time maligned and feared him. He regarded them as a spider does flies. He spread nets for them, they were caught, and he devoured them for the amusement and benefit of the public. He was educated by the Jesuits, and sometimes acted like one. It is fashionable to say that he was not profound. This is because he was not stupid. In the presence of absurdity he laughed and was called irreverent. He thought God would not damn even a priest forever. This was regarded as blasphemy. He endeavoured to prevent Christians from murdering each other and did what he could to civilise the disciples of Christ. Had he founded a sect, obtained control of some country, and burned a few heretics at slow fires, he would have won the admiration, respect and love of the Christian world. Had he only pretended to believe all the fables of antiquity, 
had he mumbled Latin prayers, counted beads, crossed himself, devoured the flesh of God and carried faggots to the feet of philosophy in the name of Christ, he might have been in heaven this moment, enjoying a sight of the damned. Instead of doing these things, he willfully closed his eyes to the light of the gospel, examined the Bible for himself, advocated intellectual liberty, struck from the brain the fetters of an arrogant faith, assisted the weak, cried out against the torture of man, appealed to reason, endeavoured to establish universal toleration, succoured the indigent and defended the oppressed. These were his crimes. Such a man God would not suffer to die in peace. If allowed to meet death with a smile, others might follow his example, until none would be left to light the holy fires of the auto da fe. It would not do for so great, so successful an enemy of the church, to die without leaving some shriek of fear, some shudder of remorse, some ghastly prayer of chattered horror, uttered by lips covered with blood and foam. He was an old man of eighty-four. He had been surrounded with the comforts of life. He was a man of wealth, of genius. Among the literary men of the world he stood first. God had allowed him to have the appearance of success. His last years were filled with the intoxication of flattery. He stood at the summit of his age. The priests became anxious. They began to fear that God would forget, in a multiplicity of business, to make a terrible example of Voltaire. Toward the last of May, 1778, it was whispered in Paris that Voltaire was dying. Upon the fences of expectation gathered the unclean birds of superstition, impatiently waiting for their prey. Two days before his death, his nephew went to seek the curé of Saint-Sulpice and the abbé Gautier, and brought them into his uncle's sick chamber, who was informed that they were there. "'Ah, oh, well,' said Voltaire, "'give them my compliments and my thanks.' The abbé spoke some words to him, exhorting him to patience. The curé of Saint-Sulpice then came forward, having announced himself, and asked Voltaire, elevating his voice, if he acknowledged the divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. The sick man pushed one of his hands against the curé's coif, shoving him back, and cried, turning abruptly to the other side, Let me die in peace. The curé seemingly considered his person soiled, and his coif dishonoured by the touch of the philosopher. He made the nurse give him a little brushing, and went out with the abbé Gautier. He expired, says Wagner, on the 30th of May, 1778, at about a quarter past eleven at night, with the most perfect tranquillity. Ten minutes before his last breath, he took the hand Morand, his valet de chambre, who was watching by him, pressed it and said, Adieu, my dear Morand, I am gone. These were his last words. From this death, so simple and serene, so natural and peaceful, from these words so utterly destitute of cant or dramatic touch, all the frightful pictures, all the despairing utterances, have been drawn and made. From these materials, and from these alone, have been constructed all the shameless lies about the death of this great and wonderful man, compared with whom all of his calumniators, 
dead and living, were and are but dust and vermin. Voltaire was the intellectual autocrat of his time. From his throne at the foot of the Alps, he pointed the finger of scorn at every hypocrite in Europe. He was the pioneer of his century. He was the assassin of superstition. He left the quiver of ridicule without an arrow. Through the shadows of faith and fable, through the darkness of myth and miracle, through the midnight of Christianity, through the blackness of bigotry, past cathedral and dungeon, past rack and stake, past altar and throne, he carried, with chivalric hands, the sacred torch of reason. End of section 10 Reading by Florence